This is KMTT. Today, on Mondays, we have a shear of Harav Binyamin Tavori, who this year will be examining different responses, Shalotu Tshuvot, from the major ones from the 18th and 19th century. Harav Tavori. Last week, we discussed Reb Chaim Sanzer, his Sefer Divrei Chaim, and some tshuvos which I thought reflected a certain type of Hasidish thought that was typical of Reb Chaim Sanzer. Today I'd like to continue with his tshuvos, but to show today the amount of tshuvos, sheilot that were written to him, the importance of some of, the, of those sheilot to tshuvot, and more of the lumdus that was exhibited by Reb Chaim Sanzer, when I was a student in Yeshiva University, one of the professors used to say that you can measure certain gedolim by the type of questions that they were asked and the amount of questions that they were asked. In this, the Sefer Divrei Chaim, today we're going to discuss mostly tshuvas that appeared in Evan Ezer and Choshen Mishpat. You see an amazing amount of questions that were important at that time the, that were addressed to Reb Chaim and that he dealt with. For example, in the first volume of Evan Ezer, there are 18 shuvos about Agunos. In the second volume, Chelik Evan Ezer, Chelik Beis, there are 20 shutim about Agunos. One really wonders how so many cases of Agunos came about in the period in which Reb Chaim Sanzer lived. The amount of tshuvas about Gitten and how to write Gitten, how to spell words in Gitten that were written to him obviously show that he was considered a major authority in these areas. One of the questions that we will discuss today is a story that's rather sad and interesting to note how he approaches it. In Evan Ezer Chelek Beis, Simon Yudalid, the question was asked about a certain time at Chacham, who lived happily with his wife, and as a comment they write, Kederach Tamili Chachamim, in a normal fashion for Tamit Chacham, they lived in harmony for 20 years. But, and he still loves her, but he did not have children. And therefore, he wants to fulfill the mitzvah pu'urvu, and he wants to have children, Tamini Chachamim. He himself is from a very well-known family. Without mentioning his name, they write that he's Ben Gadol Hadar. He's a, one of the children of a famous Gadol of that generation. Therefore, yes, Reb Chaim Sanzer, to find a heter, his wife refuses to accept the get. Reb Chaim here goes through a lot of stages to deal with this particular question. First of all, he discusses the extent of the concept of the cherem not to divorce your wife against her will, which we know as cherem de Rabbeinu Gershom. And he said, some people think that this is almost like a din da'araisa. Since it's a cherem, a cherem is da'araisa, and he quotes the Knesset HaGdola, 
that a Chayim could be considered a Raisa, and maybe Rabbeinu Gershom, Moragola, could be considered as a Chayim which is a Raisa. He disproves this by quoting Rishonim, and one of the most important sources that he quotes is the Tshuva of the Maharib Mints. We'll see this Tshuva again later. That the Maharib Mints says that the Gzeira of, of the Gon is considered as a Takana made in the Gemara. Even though Rabbeinu Gershom obviously was not one of the Tanoim Amoraim, he was a, in the time of the Rishonim. But nevertheless, it's considered a Takana from the time of the, of the Gemara. And it's very important. So you see that they can argue if it's made considered to be a takana. Marimitz even argues can this be considered a takana of the Gemara? He discusses that point, but it's certainly not a raisa. And so he says the Dachi Moshe, quoted by the Beishmuel, it's a takana. Why is that important? Because if it's a takana, then you say Safik lahakel. He quotes that the Marshal in the Yamshel Shlomo says that even after the 5th century you have to observe the Chayim of Rabbeinu Gershom. But some people thought since Rabbeinu Gershom made his Takana only for a certain period of time, perhaps the Yamshel Shlomo meant it that it's the Raisa. He said, no, 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 that's not true. It's a Takana. And I'll prove it to you. Because the Marshal quotes a Rabbeinu Avigdor, and Rabbeinu Avigdor, as we quoted above, says clearly that it's the Rabbanan. So therefore, it's the Rabbanan, just, the Yam Shishlama says this continues forever. Even though the Marshal says that perhaps in the Suffolk Yati Machmir, but it doesn't think that it's a Daraisa, it's a Gzeres Chazal. He also then goes on, Reb Chaim Sanzer, to say that all the Ashkenazim think that it's not more than a Takanas Chazal. But there were Chachmei Sfarad who thought that it was a Chayim Mamish and a Chayim is Daraisa. And therefore, that Sefer that I quoted before, the Knes Tagadola, says really that we are Machmir. But the truth is, that the Beis Yosef, who himself was Faradi, Paskins, Lukula, as he quotes the Tshuva of the Beis Yosef, and then Reb Chaim Sanzer says, and even if there would be a discussion, Chachmei Ashkenaz were more aware of Rabbi Gershom Moragolos Takanos, as the Rajma himself said, and therefore we would follow the Chachmei Ashkenaz, and it's only the Rabbanan, and we would say, Sveika Lukula. Next, we have another issue. Did Rabbeinu Gershom make this Gezeira B'maka Mitzvah? Of course, the B'maka Mitzvah would apply to a case, for example, where a man is married and his brother passed away without children, and there would be a question of Yibum. Would you allow to do Yibum, which would be against Rabbeinu Gershom of having two wives, but it would be B'maka Mitzvah, the Mitzvah of Yibum. So here, he mentions that there's a big machlokas Rishonim. He quotes the Nebuchad Yosef, he quotes the Darchi Moshe, but then he reinterpreted the 
Nimukha Yosef. And he goes on to explain a lengthy discussion whether Rabbi Gershom's Gezeira was permitted B'makam Mitzvah. And he quotes a Ramah as saying that you could marry two wives, according to the Ramah. Although the Bach and other Achronim say the Minig is only to be matir with a hundred heter of Meir Abanim, but the Apidin, it is Mutter B'makam Mitzvah. So, therefore, he said, says the Reb Chaim Sanzer, it seems to me simple that we can be matir b'makam mitzvah. However, our custom today is not to be matir, only if you have a heter of meirabanim. Therefore, do not abandon the minik, even though the Noda Behuda Lamase was permitted the abandoning abandon to abandon Chaim Rebbeinu Gershom when there's a b'makam mitzvah, as quoted by the Atzei Arazim. But still, since people argued, I, I, it, we perhaps should be machmer. But then, Reb Chaim Sanzer comes up with his clever solution and suggestion. You should give her a get, Baal Karcha. But when you give her the get, you should make it tonight. If most of the Gdolim of Poland and Galicia, the great ones, will say, that it's you're allowed to give a get, b'moka mitzvah, as is the opinion of so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so, then it's a get. However, if most people will say the get should not be given malkarcha, even b'moka mitzvah, then you should stipulate that in that case you don't want to get. So you did not transgress the problem of giving a get malkarcha, but before you know the answer, send, give the get. Then send a letter to the Gedolim. In the meantime, you assume that the Rabbanim will probably be matir. But on the odd chance that they're not matir, marry someone right now. And now he claims we have a sveik sveika. Maybe a sveik sveika, a double doubt. Why? Because perhaps the original get is valid. And then you don't have a wife and you have no problem. If most people will say that you shouldn't give the get, so even if you'd assume the get is not valid, so there's still a suffix, because maybe you're allowed to marry two wives, b'maka mitzvah. Maybe you would say that giving get balkarcha is forbidden, but marrying two wives, b'maka mitzvah is mutter. And he quotes a no to that effect. So therefore, there's a sveik sveik alakula, and this is what I would suggest. Of course, one could discuss, are we allowed L'Chathila to enter a situation of Sveik Sveika? And he explains, when the problem is only Drabanan, you're allowed to do that, and he quotes sources for that as well. Basically, the end of the, this particular tshuva is, I suggest what I, what I said. Mar- give a get Balkarcha, marry somebody immediately, ask Geshayla, give the get Altnai, as I explained. But he said, nevertheless, Reb Chaim Sanzer, I would like other people to, to agree with me. Even though I know that some people were matir, but I would rather not do this, and I would rather have other people agreeing with me. In fact, the following tshuvas, 
a number of tshuvas continue where people did argue with him and tried to explain why they felt his suggestion was not valid. Nevertheless, Subchaim Sanzer in the ensuing tshuvas uh, maintains his opinion that this is the best thing to do, and he said this would solve all the problems. The issue of Rechem Devin Gesham came up. In other cases as well, in Simon Mem of our of Evanazahelic base, there was a, a story of about a person who lived in Bulgaria. He lived with his wife and he had three children. He then traveled and he lived a long time away from his wife. In the meantime, all three children passed away. He came home. He lived with his wife, but not happily. He did want to divorce her. And now, he gives her a get Balkarcha, and he, he uses the phrase in Chumash, Kasher Yakum Isha Nefesh, the Torah uses that phrase in a case of rape. It says it's just when a person would stand up and kill someone. He uses the same phrase, a person gave the get Balkarcha. The woman refused to accept the get. She used to hide so that she would not not receive the get. And he came at night with people who are not considered good people. He calls them Anshe Belial. They broke the door. They forced the woman to go out. One held her. One almost strangled her. They gave her the get. She's almost 50 years old. She says she's still capable of having children. But her husband wasn't home for many years. She also said the Edim on the get were paid by the husband. Now the question would be, what do we say in such a case? So first of all, he discusses against again, since the fellow had no children, and there's a possibility or a likelihood that his wife, who's almost 50 years old, will never have children, would this be the same case as we discussed before, permitting Chemdra ben Gershom in a place of mitzvah? But first of all, he discusses the issue in such a case would we force a husband or we tell a husband to, to divorce his wife. And he goes to a lengthy discussion if this considered the Maka Mitzvah. Since he did not fulfill period for him, his children died. So would we force him to, marry someone, to divorce his wife and marry somebody else? Then he goes on to say, to bring the Rabbi Mari Mintz that we quoted before. And the question would be, did Rabbi Gershom make his Gezeira in such a case? And then the issue would be another. Let's say a person was over the Rabbi Gershom. He did not obey Chendra ben and he divorced his wife against her will. Would that mean the get is invalid? He quotes Mary Mintz as saying clearly, in such a case, the get is invalid. But he quotes the tshuva as follows. We have made a gzeirah that nobody can divorce his wife unless three communities agree. 
if the husband does it, he describe the selfie, the adim, are all benidui, as Rabbeinu Gershom instituted. We have these original takanas, and now we renewed them in the year Tov Tov Kuf Pei. Besides what the earlier Kadmonim had made the Gezeira, we in Magenza put a Chelem Chamur Besides the Takan of Rabbi Ma'olagola, the communities of Shapira, Vermaisa, Magensa, all agreed that you cannot divorce a wife against her will, and then he uses the words, Ve'en haget klum. The get is invalid. So, Reb then says, you see that according to the Rabbi Gershom, might really have ended at a certain time. But the Takana of Sapira, Vermaisa, and Magensa, that certainly is forever. Even though that Takana was only for Germany and France, Rabbeinu Gershon Takana was all over the world. Nevertheless, that the Takana was accepted. And the Takana was moreover that the get is not valid. Not merely because the Adem Apostle, and not because he was over in Easter, because that was the Gzaira. So, if that would be true, in our case, we'd have a, a serious problem being Matir. The case of this woman, because the get was given to Al-Karcha, and if the get would be delivered against her will, in a place that's considered Shalobamaka Mitzvah, then the get certainly would be invalid. He says, Reb Chaim, that since the husband did not live ten years together with his wife normally, therefore they don't count. And therefore he was over the Chayrim and his get would not be good and we would force him to remarry her. However, says Reb Chaim, since apparently she will not have children, Bezdin should make Xera that he should give her what's, what's coming to her. In other words, make a fair settlement. And they should arrange with her and with him that he could divorce her with her own, out of her volition. If she still refuses to get a get in any circumstances, then I think you could use Hatemei Rabbanim. That's what it would seem from the Takana that we made before. If the Rabbanim see a reason to be Mekel, then we can be Mekel. But again, his suggestion was to somehow reach an agreement with the woman. But he did invalidate this get. This does not contradict the original tshuva, because here he said it's not B'makom Mitzvah. Since the husband had not lived with his wife ten years, it's not a mitzvah, therefore he felt the get would be battle. Another question that came to him was about a situation of a katlanit. A katlanit is a lady who was married a few times, problem how many times, and her husband died. And she's considered a katlanis, and therefore it's considered 
dangerous to marry her, someone should not marry a Katlanis. Apparently, a big Rav asked him if he could marry a woman who was considered a Katlanis. So, the problem was two things. One, who were the husbands and why did they die? And also, who is the new husband? Is he a tzaddik? So, maybe it happens to be that HaKadosh Baruch Hu punished Rishayim, but tzaddikim would not be punished. He mentions here a little bit about the concept of Ein Mazal Yisrael, what's the, what's the situation of a tzaddik, a rasha, and he deals with more Kabbalistic sources about the issues of tzaddikim and rishayim and mazal, etc. But what I found interesting, his, he said, really, we cannot say any svaris about this. This is not a halachic issue that I can pass in based on, on svarah. Ein mazal Yisrael, I don't even know what that means exactly. We don't ein besichleinu we do not have the capacity to really understand what the Gemara means, what the Chazar, the Tikkun Zohar meant about Ein Mazal Yisrael. The, the Gemara says Ein Mazal Yisrael, Tikkun Zohar says, Afilu Sefer Torah Shebeichel, Ein Mazal Yisrael. So therefore, I don't know. And if Rishonim Menachem HaMekil, then we'll say Shem Epsai Mashem. If the tzaddikim of our generation say it's okay, then it'll be okay. This is not something that's based on logic. If the tzaddikim say it's okay, it's okay. And then he met, he quoted his Rebbe. Yeah. In the text of the tshuva, it doesn't say who it is. It says, My Rebbe. Now, last week I mentioned a number of the Rebbe's of the Divrei Chaim, of the Sanzer, mentioned various Hasidic Rebbes. I don't know how they know it, but the, in the introduction to the Sefer, in the Mafteach, they quoted this as Reb Naftali Rabshitzer. Maybe he generally was considered the Rebbe of the Divrei Chaim, but he quotes the, the, a Reb Naftali Rabshitzer, who spoke about a certain case, apparently like this, that it really is up to the Tzadik Ebadar. They have the right to determine. And therefore, I ask you to speak to the tzaddikim of our generation, and whatever they say will be. It will be good if they say it's good. So, interesting how these questions were asked to Reb Chaim. The first two questions we asked were lambdas that he dealt with, with tshuvas, many tshuvas. This was a typical psak of a Hasidic Rebbe saying that these are not things that are in our world understandable, so therefore you go to the tzaddik and the tzaddik will pass it. I'd like to also mention one or two of the tshuvas that appear in the Choshim Mishpat. One of them, the last tshuva in the book, is actually a, rather interesting that there was a community from Mamarish. Now, to the best of my knowledge, Mamarish was a community in Hungary, many of the people from Mamarish came to live in Eretz Israel. The situation in Eretz Israel was that people lived mostly on Chalukah. People sent money from Chutzlaretz to Eretz Israel. Now, 
different parts of Chutzler, it's different places, sent different amounts of money. It happened to be that the a, a great amount of the money, a big percentage of the money came from Mamarish. So the people who went on Aliyah from Mamarish claimed that they should have a a prior share in that Chalukah. The money came from their community and therefore the principle would apply the people of your city and since they're Mamarish so they should get money before anybody else. So first of all Reb Chaim Sanchez says they moved. They don't live in Mamrish. So why should they get first? Secondly, it's true that Aniyah Yircha Kodmim, but Tamit Chacham comes before Aniyah Yircha. And it's known that there are many great Amni Chacham in Eretz Yisrael, much greater than the people from Mamrish. There is no taina to what they say at all. And if you tell me the, you should go by the minig. He says, I never heard of a minig that you give to the people from where they came. Because, for example, from communities like Krakow, Tarna, Rapschitz, they send a lot of money. And the people who live there from those communities are very few. You're going to tell me that you should give two or three people all that money because they come from that city? Doesn't make any sense. He also says Mamish is not a city at all. It's it's a group of communities. So a person who's from any small community, Mamish came from Sigit, or he says that the the yeshuvim of Mamish were very far separated. There's no somewhere near Poland, somewhere far from Poland. So, they do not get anything. He says, again, as a Hasidish, a piece of advice, uh, we should try to somehow appease them and make peace with them. But there's no reason to think that the people of Mamrish should get more money than other people because they come from Mamrish. They lost their status of being in Mamrish. One of the truths that I found very interesting was about a certain Hasidish Rebbe who passed away. And the story itself is rather complicated. But what happened was, he had three children. And one of the children somehow took over as the, as the, as the Rebbe of that community. The other brothers, well, they were also well-known, and they were also Yirei Hashem, fine people. One of them actually also became known as a Rebbe later. But one of them basically took over the base Medrash. There was a Yerusha involved. And the three brothers wanted a fair settlement of all the Yerusha. It was never resolved to their satisfaction. There was a little bit of piece of paper, but nobody signed it. Now the Rabbi Avram, who he calls Rabbi Avram HaKadosh, it was the Bukhar, and he is the one who was accepted in the, in, the, in the shul, and he wanted to enlarge the shul. More people came, and his younger brothers were upset, because they said, no, they have enough, they daven in that base medrash, they don't need a bigger base medrash. And they wanted to make a division. 
Rav Avram asked for permission, and there was a big fight. Even though the young, they were Anashim Gedolim. Then at the end, we're talking about an argument that went in one generation, another generation, and continued until uh, grandchildren. Here, Reb Chaim Sanzer discussed, first of all, how do we look at this base medrash? And this is the part that I feel is very reflective of the concept of a Hasidish base medrash. He said, the, the Bate Medrash of our Sadiqim were basically with their own homes. They lived there, and they had part of the home where they made a, a base Medrash. He says, the whole place does not have Kedusha's base Aknesis. We see that today we use that for other purposes. We make weddings there, what we call Fabrengen, they get together for parties, for Hasidish gatherings, what we call in Hebrew today, Hidva'aduyot, in Yiddish, Afabrengen. You're not allowed to do that in the base Medrash. People even go to sleep there. So, apparently the Tzadikim who build these houses do not build them as a base Medrash, not as a Beit Knesset, but as a base Vad Ta'amidich HaChamim. That's the function of the building. Even though people daven in there, and therefore it has some sort of Kedusha because people who dive in there, but it's not anything more than basically a base Vad Lechachamim. And he said, that's why we call it a Shtibel. What's a Shtibel? A Shtub in Yiddish means a house. And we call it Hasidish a Shtibel. A Shtibel, it's a little house. So, since it was built that way, it's not considered a Shul. Then we have to discuss how to re, to look at the possession of this person. He said, today we sell we sell houses of tzaddikim. And then he quotes even Rebbe Limerich Milizhinsk. His base medrash was bought by Rabbi Abayis. Obviously, he thought that it didn't have Kedusha. And Rebbe, <coughs> and, and <coughs> Rebbe Limerich Milizhinsk had a base medrash. The last part of the, of the question then would be, what about in, inheriting the concept of the ra- Rabbanus? Because the Rebbe himself, we discussed the shul, how do you, do, do you determine as a shul, determine as a private, a private home, that we said it's a shtibel. But what about inheriting the Rabbanus itself? So he said, you know, Chazidah Rebbe doesn't have a job like a Rav, by a Rav, a regular Misnagid, the Rav comes as a Yerusha. But these type of people, they weren't Rabbanim by, because of being because they were so holy and people were respected them so much they people listened to them and they learned from them, and they accept, they took, they gave them nedavos. They gave advice. They had ruach hakodesh. We said last week. Chaim Sanzi said today in today's world there's ruach hakodesh as well. Everything they do was kadosh. If their children didn't have their kedusha, there's no point of yerusha. What 
you can't tell anybody, go ask him for advice, to daven to him, to give him the davos. Uh, there's no din of Yerusha. And then he quotes many examples of Hasidic Rebbe's who did not have what we would call Yarshim, but gave away the, Reb, the Rebbeshkeit to someone else. For example, the Maggot of Mezrich. He gave his position to his students. The Badechever, the Barshemtov, had a child who was Kadosh Hashem. The Normali Melech gave away his his Rabbanus to students, not to his 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 children, even though they were Kadoshim. There's no din of Yerusha. Therefore, he said it should be the Shtibel should be in the possession of the descendants of the of the Rebbe, but they should make a fair allotment of of the Tzadikim Adar, and he, since he wasn't uh, present in that city, he always recommends that people, so the Tzadikim Adar, should get together and decide what to do with this Yerusha. This Shuv, I found interesting how he discussed the difference between a Hasidish Rebbe and a Rav, and the difference between a Shtibel and a Beit Knesset.